We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato. A lot to talk about today with Brian Dables, introductory presser. We're going to talk about some of the things he mentioned, expand on those. We're also going to talk a little bit about a report that came out, a really just conversation that Peter King had with Giants general manager Joe Shane about the salary cap, how they want to shape things this year, this offseason specifically, and moving forward. We're going to talk a little bit about a report that came out about Joe Judge's locker room and his players. I just want to touch on that a little bit. Um, and I also wanted to get your take, Nick, before we even do any of that, on what you learned. Give me like maybe one key takeaway from each of the two playoff games, because I think these are fun to do and they can have value because these are the teams the Giants want to emulate. These are the teams the Giants want to be at some point, a team that can make a run to a Super Bowl. Uh, and be in that worst, the conference championship game. Uh, to me, that's always been the ceiling. I've never been about trying to build a roster to grind it to nine wins every year or a wild card every year. But let's see. What did you take away from both of those games? For the Bengals, obviously, resilience is just absolutely ridiculous. But I think my main takeaway, other than, yes, quarterbacks, they make the league. We get that. But my main takeaway would be there's not one set of ways to build a team. There are several that can lead to success. Because if you look at both the Bengals and the Rams, both of their paths to getting to this point have been wildly different. You have the Bengals who were 2-14 and 14 just two years ago. They do not invest heavily in the offensive line like everybody said they should. They took the risk and draft risk, quote-unquote, drafted Jamar Chase because of the rapport he had with Joe Burrow in 2019. Remember, he did not play in 2020. And look at where they're at now. And then you look at what the Rams did. They haven't had a first round pick since Jared freaking golf. And they're not going to have another one until 2024. And they traded a bunch of those picks for Brandon cooks. Who's no longer there for Jalen Ramsey and for Matt Stafford. And they invested in veterans who were already proven while retaining talented players that they selected in previous drafts. 
and now they're in the big game. So I look at both of those roster constructions are wildly different, right? But yet they're both successful. And I think that is just an interesting kind of thing to ponder going forward. There's not one way to build a successful roster. There are multiple. Yeah, that's a great thing to point to bring up to bring up. I'm going to spend, I'm going to kind of reply and expand on that before giving my key takeaways, but I will say this one thing, both of those rosters do have is the quarterback. The Rams were not the team they are today before they traded for Matthew Stafford. And obviously the Bengals at two and 14, a couple years ago, weren't going to be this Super Bowl contender, a team that makes it to the Super Bowl and makes a massive upset over the chiefs without Joe Burrow. Those are facts. That's the reality. But something you mentioned that stood out to me was the whole decision to take Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. And that was something that people criticized. We ourselves would have taken Sewell most likely. Now, it's hard to say we're not doing this every day. If we were grinding the tape and watching every single thing, talking to these players, understanding the value of having the rapport already built in between Burrow and Chase, we may have looked at it differently. We may have come to a different conclusion from an outside perspective. The general default for us, Nick, and a lot of evaluators as believers in the inside out draft approach, meaning draft the offensive line, protect your quarterback. It's more important to have pass protection than skill players. The skill players mean nothing without the pass protection. All of that, what we may have missed, and just something to keep in mind moving forward, because I've spoken to a lot of Giants fans this offseason. I'm sure you have as well, Nick. And a lot of them are like, we got to take an offensive lineman no matter what at five and seven. They throw out names, but most of the time it's just taken offensive linemen. Some say, okay, just one, five or seven. But ultimately, there is no such thing as drafting a position in the draft. Only teams that do that are the teams that lose. The only teams that do that are the teams we keep looking at, turning over rosters, turning over GMs, turning over head coaches over and over and over again. Yes, the Giants really desperately need help on the offensive line but they cannot force it. You cannot draft a position. You have to draft a player. And Sewell obviously had a really nice rebound. The second half of the season was really great. I think he's trending toward a real, becoming a really good player. But Jamar Chase is the rookie of the year. Jamar Chase is going to be one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL for probably the next decade, barring injuries. And the evaluation they had on Chase was probably pretty easy. When we evaluated him, Nick, we were like, this dude is the by far and away wide receiver one in this class. We both had top three, top four overall type grades on him. We we're both saying it would be a miracle if the Giants could somehow get this guy, and he's a snap pick. You don't even have to think about it. You you can walk it up in the time they they took to make the Saquon Barkley pick, which was only five minutes, according to Dave Gettleman, because the NFL made him take five minutes. Otherwise, he was ready to turn it in the, the moment the Giants were on the clock. You could make that kind of move for Jamar Chase. We knew that eval, but again, it just proves to me, Nick, that kind of, I guess I would say cornering yourself or just kind of, I don't want to say burying yourself, but, you know, putting yourself in a bucket of you have to take build outside, inside out. You have to go offensive line before prioritize offensive line before skill players. It may not be the best way to do it. If I mean, it's, it's not that it may not be. It is not the best way to do it. You cannot draft for position. You have to draft these players based on their, based on your evaluation of them. Yes, but I feel like everybody who is saying you need to select an offensive line has the understanding that there are offensive linemen in this draft worthy of said selection. If you want to look interior, Kenyon Green, Tyler Lindenbaum, even a little bit later, that would be probably not for five and seven, but you have the kid from Boston College. I think a lot of people are looking at Evan Neal, Akeem Iguanu from North Carolina State. I haven't watched those guys extensively yet. I'm waiting for the film. I can't wait to dive into 
them. And we will be coming out with draft player profiles on all of these guys and even Mississippi State's Charles Cross. So that's why I think a lot of people are saying they have to select alignment is because there are people worth the selection at the positions. But I do agree generally on the uh, thesis that you should never just say, this is what we're going with. Because if there isn't somebody worthy of the position, then you're just drafting for need and you could pass up on a player like a Jamar Chase. Yeah, exactly. Never draft for need. I mean, even last year might be, we're all happy to get this first round pick from the Bears and hopefully the Giants can do something really good with it. But, and, and of course, we're never going to double back on that and say we weren't for it at the time. But the Giants made a decision. It was clear by their draft approach and all the reports that came out from those connected that they did not have an interest in drafting over Matt Parrott at least last year. And they felt they really needed to get more skill players to unlock Daniel Jones. So they made a priority to get a skill player in that first round. I think it's pretty damn clear. They were going to take Devontae Smith. The Eagles traded ahead of them. They still had Tony high on their board, and they were really excited to get a chance at Tony. They put in a lot of time into figuring out which skill position player they wanted in round one. And ultimately, let's be completely honest with the situation. Kadarius Tony is not as good a prospect or anywhere near as good a prospect as Rashawn Slater. Forget the injuries. Forget the value of the positions. He's not Rashawn Slater. I mean, Rashawn Slater was unbelievable. Tony has some ups, has undeniable upside. There's no doubt about that. But ultimately, I don't like the idea of the former regime of kind of ruling out potential. You, know, you can't draft over. You can't do this. All the rules and, and regulations they, in my mind, had for, for the draft um, that I felt were not a good way to go about it. And I don't think that's going to be the case for Joe Shane. So I'm excited about that. I've heard a lot of things both from him and based on his track record that lead me to believe in a different direction. So I'll give my key takeaway, my key takeaway. I tweeted about it, Nick, and it was just kind of how eerily similar to me. This Bengals uh, Super Bowl run is to the giants, 2011 run. You have the quarterback coming up with big time throws and big moments, the quarterback pretty much leading the entire offense. I know Joe Mixon had some big runs and in the regular season had a solid contribution in the run game, but this was a pass driven team. Um, ton of pass-heavy sets, a ton of 11 personnel, a ton of taking vertical shots down the field. Two great receivers, Nixon, Nixon Cruz. Obviously, anyone who remembers that year remember Bill Belichick telling his team on the sideline, remember, this is still a Nixon Cruz game. The thing we have to do is just take away those two players and we're good. So two, two great receivers, shaky pass protection the whole year. The Giants ranked 32nd in pass protection according to PFF during the 2011 run. The Bengals, not too much higher. They were in the low 20s in pass protection. Gave up nine sacks last week, and they still won the game. So obviously not a good pass protection unit at all. A defense that comes up with big plays at big times and is kind of unheralded, so similar to me. But, you know, one of the biggest things to me is last week, for example, Joe Burrow. I mean, I'm sorry, this week, for example, Joe Burrow, and last week in every game, really. It's just the calmness and the poise that he has in big moments and big spots. He didn't fi- he didn't fire it off yesterday with 450 yards passing and five tees. He didn't need to, though. He made big-time throws in big moments, and he was calm and collected the whole time. Not just for a second-year player, for anyone. Like You don't see that a lot from a lot of these quarterbacks, no matter how many years they had in the league. You saw that with Eli Manning. It's part of the big reason why he was able to make those runs. And that calmness, that coolness, that, that poise, if you want to call it that, the it factor, as some people call it, whatever you want to call it, Nick. Joe Burrow obviously has that. He's proven that. And that's that's kind of why he reminded me a little bit of Eli in that 2011 run in a lot of ways, the team and the player. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, 
is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a good take, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there, as you just pointed out. Joe Burrow, he has it, man. He has it, and kudos to the Bengals. I mean, Zach Taylor is going to the Super Bowl, and I, you know, you talk to a lot of people who like cover the Bengals, or you see what they say on Twitter. The opinion of Zach Taylor isn't necessarily like, oh, he's the reason we're here. It's the assumption that we have the quarterback, and this quarterback is the team. This quarterback is the city. This kid's from Ohio, too. I mean, the the ascension of Joe Burrow over the last several seasons has been quite impressive when you think about it, because before 2019, nobody really knew who the hell Joe Burrow was. He transferred from Ohio state. He had like a ho-hum season that second, the last season in 2018 as the LSU starting quarterback. And then boom, he's the Heisman trophy winner national championship. And now he's representing the AFC in his second season. And it's really not even just his second season. Cause his first season was cut in half against Washington football team. When he took that hit low because his offensive line was putrid. So man, I just, I got to tip my cap to Joe Burrow. And I just hope the New York giants can find somebody with that type of upside and potential. Yeah. And speaking of, I mean, just coming back off the injury alone is impressive. And I, I heard an interview with Ed Ogeron, the former coach of Burrow. And this is something that stood out to me as well in watching the Bengals in this game and watching Joe Burrow. Ogeron talked about how, you know, he did have that, like you said, pretty mediocre season with LSU before his breakout. And Ogeron said, basically it all clicked when two things happened. One, we went to Joe Brady. And I'll get to more on that in a second. Two, Joe Burrow threw 10,000 balls with every receiver in the offseason. 10,000 balls. That's a lot of passes. That's a lot of rapport build for obviously, you know, Jamar Chase, who's now with him again. And obviously just an insanely talented group they had there at receiver. Chase, Justin Jefferson. And um, why am I blanking on the, the, the uh, and who's the Terrence third? Marshall. Blanking on? Who? Terrence Marshall. And Terrace Marshall. Just an insanely talented group. But to the Brady thing, 
what Odron was saying is it all changed because we fit Burrow. We fit the system to Burrow's skill set. He didn't say those words. I'm telling you, though, that's what exactly what they did. He said when they were able to get Burrow in more of the spread, muddle, huddle, up-tempo type stuff, it allowed Joe to do what he does best, diagnose the line of scrimmage, and see after the snap. And you could see it with Burrow. That's kind of what, you know, there's a lot of talk about with Daniel Jones's post-snap processing. Can it improve? Has it gotten better? Can it get better? And I think with Burrow, you kind of see a lot of it is innate. The way that he adjusts to things and sees things post-snap and delivers the ball on time with incredible ball placement. It's part of why he almost threw for like 80% in these last, you know, the stretch run with the Bengals. Like 80% for an NFL quarterback is insane, especially with no offensive line. And it doesn't matter because this guy sees the field so well post-snap. And this system that they that they not only created for him at, at, at the beginning with Joe Brady, but then carried over in a lot of ways. Like a lot of what Zach Taylor does is the things that were so, so successful for Joe Burrow at LSU during his breakout season. He's not stupid, Zach Taylor. He understands that he's in better shape to create a system around his quarterback skill set. And that gets us a lot to one of the main points from today's presser with Brian Dayball's introductory presser. One of the things that he said, and we're going to touch on that a bunch, is that his plan is to build the offense around Daniel Jones's skill set. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in depth shortly. But I did want to do one more key takeaway for this game before we move on from the playoffs. And we'll talk a little about the Super Bowl next week as well. On the flip side, you nailed the main one that I wanted to get to, Nick, which was the roster build and how they did it, the Rams. But I did also want to say, Odell Beckham Jr., he looked freaking awesome out there. He's looked freaking awesome since he got to the Rams. Just goes to show, man how important quarterback play is for this whole wide receiver thing. Because you know what? There's a lot of people who are down on Kenny Galladay, and I'm not saying Daniel Jones is the reason for his failures, but things can change. If this new system fits for Daniel Jones or if they find a quarterback who's better, Kenny Galladay is going to look like a much better player. I'm not ready to give up on Kenny Galladay, just as I wasn't ready to give up on, on Odell Beckham. I tried to trade for him in every single dynasty league when he went to the Rams. Quarterback play means so much for these receivers, and it, it was good for me to see that Beckham still has it. Like this, this deep in his career, this many injuries that have piled up, he just needed a quarterback who can unlock him again. The way the Browns utilized him too, and if you listen to like a lot of people who watch film all across the league, like the Seth Galinas and, and Deontay Lees, they used him on the backside dig for the vast majority of plays in Cleveland. And Baker Mayfield never wanted to work his progressions to get to the backside dig or throw the backside dig. It's not like Odell Beckham Jr. wasn't really getting open or anything like that. It's that the quarterback was a little bit hesitant to throw that route once it was third, fourth read off his progression and the pressure was getting there. He didn't want to challenge the middle of the field. So kudos to Beckham, man, you know, and kudos to all the Giants, <laughs> except for maybe Eli Apple. Well, that's, that's a sticking point right now on Twitter, which is pretty hilarious because he's having his feud with the Giants fan base. But you know what? That guy made the game-saving tackle right before the half. And that's another thing. That's another takeaway, I guess, here, man, is don't get too greedy. Take the points when you're up that much. He tried to go for that touchdown. Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid got greedy. Tyreek Hill was tackled at the one-yard line by Eli Apple, and then they left with no points. If they kick a field goal there, they arguably had a realistic chance to win that football game, Kansas City Chiefs. Despite collapsing in the second half. Yeah, that and Patrick Mahomes taking that sack late in the in, the, in their final drive and not and not seeing Byron Pringle open in the middle. Yeah, there were there were a lot of coaching. That, that would be my final takeaway from the from the, from this these two playoff games, man. Sean McVay, excellent play designer, gets people open with his route combinations all the time. Great play caller, situationally as well. I'm not so sure about him as head coach though. Like as far as just like the little things as being a head coach, I tweeted about this as well, Nick. I mean, he's. He's literally more conservative on fourth downs than 
than Joe Judge was. And not only that, he is also somebody who, you know, in my mind has moments like wasting two timeouts in the second half with two challenges that should have never been challenges. They didn't make any sense. You never win an overturn on a spot. And the second one was just a disaster of a challenge. I don't know what the hell he was doing. And then he burned the third timeout because they couldn't get a playoff and they didn't, they weren't prepared. And that's three timeouts wasted. It didn't come back to haunt them because in my mind, Kyle Shanahan lost the game when he decided to punt the ball in fourth and two. I said at the time, I was watching with a bunch of friends and said, this is going to decide the game. Kyle Shannon making the decision right now to punt this ball in fourth and two from the 50 will lose the game for the 49ers, especially Shanahan, because he could easily design a two-yard play there. And the 49ers have so many cogs to that offense to get two yards. You use Debo Samuel as eye candy. You get two yards on a quick flip to George Kittle. There's just so many ways he could have converted that, that down right there. Um, and to punt that football, that's where they lost that game. And so just another example in my mind of just, Great play designers, these guys. Great play callers. I'd love to have them for that reason. They get them really far. But I felt like there were some bad coaching moments in both of game in both the games yesterday. You brought up the Chiefs, and I brought up the Rams and 49ers. Yeah, the Rams one was definitely peculiar with Sean McVay with some of the decisions that he even made. Even that, I think it was like a third and five play where the had to settle for the Matt Gay field goal. It was just like a little like chip and check down screen to Sony Michelle that was, wasn't really designed all that well. Like give Matt Stafford the opportunity. Because, you know, at that point, he started rolling a little bit. He was starting to cook. Give him the opportunity to convert that third down and then possibly get a touchdown so you don't have to go through the whole field goal situation. But that was a, just a weirdly designed play. And you even saw Sean McVay kind of patting himself in the chest like, that was my bad. That was my yeah. bad. So that exactly. was uh, that was definitely peculiar. You nailed it. All right, let's start to talk a little bit about transition here, Nick, and talk about Brian Dable's introductory press conference. Before we do that, I did want to – clean up some stuff and talk about some stuff that was reported outside of it. The first one being Peter King had a conversation with giant GM, Joe Shane and Joe Shane let him know that he is going to be looking to create around quote unquote, $40 million in salary cap space via cuts. He also let him know that his plan right now is to not kick the cap can. He does not want to be a kick the cap can kind of GM, which actually makes sense given what you've seen in Buffalo, the way that Brandon Bean did it. They have a lot of cap space going into this season, despite uh, obviously having the quarterback on the rookie contract. They could have all outed. They could have went all in on any of these free agencies in the past couple of years, the Bills. They did not, especially last year after what Josh Allen kind of broke out to. They did not. And so I think that's kind of going to be the game plan and the blueprint for them. But as far as the $40 million in cuts goes, Nick, where do you think those are going to come from? First off, I don't think we should look at this as it's going to only be cuts. Because let's think of what Brandon Bean did when he took over the Buffalo Bills. They got rid of Sammy Watkins. They got rid of Marcel Darius. They got rid of Reggie Ragland. These are all high picks, all of them traded, that weren't necessarily the quote-unquote culture guys or guys who had just too much money invested in them. And it was kind of like a complete rebuild. Joe Shane was obviously a part of that. So I think Joe Shane is going to look to trade a lot of these players. Now, Sterling Shepard may not fall into that bucket because of his injury, but there are names to consider, man. And James Bradbury is one that I kind of wanted to throw at you. Now, I don't want that to happen. I think James Bradbury is still a very good cornerback. I've made that clear on this podcast. I think he can play man coverage. He struggles a little bit with deep speed, but he's not a liability whatsoever in man coverage. But he is getting a little bit old now. And if they are able to trade him, get some draft compensation for him, I believe if this tweet was correct that I saw, it was from 2022 New York Giants. So shout out to you. That's going to be like an $11.3 million cap savings. 
to get rid of James Bradbury, who's on the last year of his deal on a team that you're more than likely not going to be all that competitive. So I think that could definitely be an option. What say you? It's an interesting option for sure. I mean, if you look at it, according to over the cap, it would save a little over 12 million around the same number he quoted, but it would result in 9.7 million in dead cap. Now, everybody hears the dead cap number and they're scared off. I get it. But when you're in the position that you just described, Nick, which is an accurate assessment of this football team, like only the if you're outside the bubble, it's what everyone would tell you about where this team is at. And if you're at that position where you're not likely to compete for a Super Bowl next year with this current team, and it is a player in his final deal, well, the $9.7 million in dead cap doesn't hurt you that much. The Giants don't have much dead cap. The only player right now, the only money they have in dead cap right now is the $290,000 from Sam Beal. That's it. They don't have much dead cap. So you you build out the dead cap. Like the Eagles had a ton of dead cap this year. This is the exact season. And everybody's talking about that. Like that's kind of signified their rebuild. I know they made the playoffs anyway while rebuilding with that kind of dead cap, but it doesn't hurt you ultimately if you're in this step of your rebuild. If you're clearing out cap space like Shane has said he's going to do, trying to create 40 million, trying to create a healthy situation where you're not kicking the can, where you're not like strapped against the cap. Well, it's not a bad idea then in some ways to take on some dead cap hits like the Bradbury one. So that's an interesting one for sure. They're obviously going to void the Solder deal. That should clear up some cap, I think. But I actually am not sure if it does. I think based on the structure, it might just be dead money, $4 million dead there. So I have to look into that and see and, and kind of talk to some people on that front. But, you know, there's some obvious ones as too. We're going to talk about Sterling Shepard is an interesting one because obviously he was today at the presser. He shook hands with Brian Dayball, dapped him up. But the Achilles injury is a tough one, and it takes time. Not everybody can be Cam Akers with this, and not everybody is as young as Cam Akers to the point where they can maybe their bodies can recover. And it's not just the Achilles for Shepard; it's all the injuries, Nick, that obviously have built mm-hmm. up. And so, like they'd save four point five million there. Rudolph is just a guaranteed lock, horrific deal by Gettleman, parting gift of just everyone could tell at the time it wasn't going to be good, and it just that's five million they'll save. But I think the interesting one to me, Nick, will be what they do with two players. So I want to ask you those. Like, uh, uh, We could talk all of them, but Riley Dixon, they're going to cut. There's some obvious ones. The two players that are most interesting to me are one, Nick Gates. Because by releasing Nick Gates, and he has an incredibly reasonable deal. Like, If he didn't have this injury, he would have been one of the best contracts on the roster. But by releasing Gates, the, the Giants can clear $2.125 million in cap space. And it seems at this stage, from what we've heard and what we've read and what he said himself, Nick, Gates is probably not going to be there for the 2022 season. If anything, maybe toward the end, but I feel like this is at best 2023, but also could just be, he's never the same player again. So that's an interesting one to me. Do you think there's any chance they move on from Gates? I think there's a chance they could, but I can't speak to the development of Nick Gates and how far along he is on this probably arduous rehab that he's going through. But I think there's definitely a, a, chance, but that's not a lot of money they're saving. It's less than $3 million. I still think Gates is a, a huge locker room guy. I think he's a leader of the team that gave him the captain right before he was injured. And I think he would be valuable in 2023 if he were to return healthy. So I don't necessarily think it's nowhere near a lock, nor do I think you believe that as well. But I think anything is kind of on the table, especially if Joe Shane wants to clear this $40 million in cap space. Yeah, exactly. And if he can't play this next year and they know it and they're and if they're unsure if he'll ever play again at that same level, I think mm. they will move on from. So we'll see what happens there. The other big one to me would be uh, outside of obviously Bradbury, who you mentioned, would be Blake Martinez, because 
Martinez was another player who was there today, dapped up uh, Brian Dable. Obviously, has been a huge locker room guy, huge culture guy, and in my mind, one of the most valuable, if not the most valuable pieces to a defense that might be the same system that we've been running the past two years, and we'll talk about that in a bit as well. But Blake Martinez, by releasing him, they would create $8.5 million in cap space. And like you said, again, rebuilding roster, rebuilding team, older player, coming off a major injury, not signed past this, this next season either, just kind of similar in a lot of ways to the Bradbury situation. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a possibility, and I hate to say it because I, I really love Blake Martinez. But all of the things that I said about James Bradbury apply to Blake Martinez, only Blake Martinez was hurt, and he's rehabbing an injury. And that's a lot of money, man. That's eight point five million, I believe you said, right? That's that's a that's a solid chunk of change. If you really realistically want to get to around forty in year one, that's got to be one of the options that you look at, especially if the Giants decide to go in a direction and select Utah's Devin Lloyd or Georgia's Nicobe Dean. If they trade back, or if they even do that at seven, I think that's something they could look into doing. I don't necessarily know if they would ultimately go in that direction, but I, I think you need an upgrade at the linebacker position. So theoretically trading your by far and away best linebacker isn't a way you're going to achieve that. But when you throw this cap situation into the equation, it has to be considered sadly. Yeah. I mean, look, I love Blake Martinez and I love his fit in this defense, but ultimately if you're taking the long-term approach here and you're understanding where the giants are at from a roster building standpoint, and you even look at this past season where Blake Martinez wasn't there and you say, yeah, we didn't have good linebacker play. That's for sure. <laughs> the tape, that's for sure. But was the defense much worse overall? It was definitely worse. I thought the defense in 2020 was definitely better, but how much worse, right? And how much worse? And how, and is that worth doubling down on a player coming off a major injury, going on the wrong side of 30, who's not signed past this year for a team that's supposed to be rebuilding? Or do you do what you said, Nick, and you clear the cap space and you, Look to the draft to find your next Blake Martinez who can be there signed for four years cheap and can save you from cap space, uh, you know, save you in a cap, save you cap wise moving forward and also be your next guy. Right. He's not the wrong side of 30. He's not coming off a major injury. He's going his trajectory is up versus Martinez, whose trajectory is at best staying the same. Like he's probably not going to be better than he ever was. I think his best season in the NFL will be that 2020 NFL season, if I had to guess. And so to me, I think there's a good chance that Blake Martinez does get cut from this team. Now, I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but if I had to pick one that's more likely Martinez or Bradbury, it would be Martinez because I do think that this could be the time in this specific draft class where they say this, let's reinvent, you know, remember the Bills found their Matt Milano. They found uh, Trayman Edmonds. Like they found linebackers to be core pieces via the draft. That's something that they're obviously interested that that they you know, that was part, that was something they prioritized, which is something the Giants under Gettleman never prioritized at all. And Except so late on day three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't exactly those, those picks aren't priorities. Those are just kind of fall into your lap type things like Tay Crowder, who, you know, we've talked about extensively already. So I would say Martinez is definitely an option to potentially be cut. I think he is too, man. And that's very unfortunate. And I have a lot of respect for Blake Martinez, but Joe Shane said it when, he took the job in his opening presser. He said, there's going to be a lot of tough decisions. And I don't think those tough decisions are just, you know, Sterling Shepard and Riley Dixon. I think it's going to include some of these players that we think of as faces of their side of the ball, specifically the defense, because there's a lot of money invested in the defense, but not necessarily beyond this season. Yep. 
Fair enough. I'm with you on that. All right, let's talk about Brian Dable's presser. Actually, let me let me do one more thing here because I did think it was interesting, and I just want to get your thoughts on it, Nick. Uh, there was a report from, I believe, Ryan Dunleavy that the Giants players were unhappy with Judge. They said one of the things that Judge tried to bring over was New England style of practice. But from the results and from the reports that are coming out now, that his tenure is said and done, it doesn't sound, it doesn't look like it was a very successful attempt. According to Dunleavy, this tough style of practices was unpopular, even among the players that did like Judge. And they definitely weren't appreciated once the injuries started to pile up. The practices received attention in the offseason and the players running laps. He said it wasn't so unpopular back then and it wasn't hard to see why. On paper, it sounds like a good idea to focus on discipline and punish mistakes. But as the season went on and the results never improved, Running laps became the source of many jokes in the locker room about judges coaching. Part of being a good coach is knowing when to adapt, and apparently Judge did a poor job of that. Yeah, it's not a shock whatsoever, to be honest. I mean, we said, like I said, I was like, look, I'm okay with this, but if you're going to do this, your team needs to be disciplined and you need to win football games. This tough guy approach is not going to work if your team sucks. And it seems like the players were on the same page with that. And you want to be yourself. Now, I think Joe Judge was himself. I don't think he was trying to act like Bill Belichick, but the practice style was definitely in a New England type of practice. And when you're losing, man, and you have injuries, and the Giants were one of the most injured teams in the league, again, then that's going to wear on the players, and you have to adapt. Now, one of the best NFL stories when it comes to adaptability was Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin was a hard-nosed type of coach. You know, Michael Strahan quoted saying he hated Tom Coughlin. So, he was retained after a lot of people speculated that he was going to be fired after that 2016 season. And what did he do in 2017? He flipped his entire personality. He took the team bowling and everybody's like, who the heck is this guy? And they ended up going on and winning the Super Bowl. Now, it wasn't just because he changed his tune that they won the Super Bowl. Obviously, there are a lot of other variables, but that definitely helped. You have to be situationally aware and you have to adjust your coaching when things are not going your way. And I guess it doesn't seem like Judge did that in a war on the locker room. Yeah, I think that's the key for me there. I mean, I was never a big believer in that. I know Giants fans are running laps in the parking lot. Again, that stuff only works when you're winning football games. You can't, I don't think you can come in and try to do that before you have the winner. If you come in and you take over a winner, that's a different story. If you're the next in line, let's say for Bill Belichick, if you were there, whatever, then you come in, that's a different story. But without it in place, it's tough. And especially with the injuries. Now, Giants were not only the most injured, uh, one of the most injured. They were the most injured team in the NFL, according to one study, since 2009. And I'm not sold that part of that wasn't because of the way they were practicing, because of some of this stuff. To be completely honest, I don't love it. I never liked it. And the key here, though, is the adaptability. That was the key takeaway for me with that report, just being able to adapt. And that's something we're going to hope to see from Brian Dayball. But it's not a lock. It's pretty much just we have to hope it happens, right? Like this could happen. It could not. We don't know how adaptable he's going to be as a coach. That's something we're going to learn. And that's something we thought we would have with Joe Judge. The first thing he preaches is adaptability, right? Not trying to, you know, maximizing the players by not trying to fit them into uh, square pegs in the earth. <laughs> square, what is it? Circles into square, square pegs. Square pegs into round holes. Into round circles. There you go. But. That's something was preached, and it just wasn't followed up on by Judge. So we'll learn that about Dayball. But let's talk a little bit about his opening presser. Where uh, where do you want to start? What was one thing you want to talk about first? First off, it just seems like he has a lot of personality. If we want to talk about things outside of the X's and O's, he had me, you know, chuckling a couple of times throughout the press conference, and he he didn't have that, you know, 
I'm the head coach. You have to treat me as the head coach. Blah, blah, blah. He didn't have that type of approach, man. He was kind of cracking jokes with the media. He got on Matt Lombardo for walking in late after Lombardo's long commute. And he's like, I'm going to remember that. Garofalo and Tom Rock mentioned a oh, bald and beard. And uh, Garofalo was like, yeah, you know, this is the handsome bald and beard area. And and, and Brian Dayball was like, oh, you guys saved me a seat over there. So I just liked kind of how loose he was, man. He definitely didn't seem uptight. Didn't seem like he was really nervous or anything like that. And I appreciated the fact that he was showing personality in his opening presser when the lights are the brightest. Yeah, it was funny to see, to see him joke around. And obviously, seems like he does have that personality that you would want to fit with the players. And obviously, you know, something that you would expect would mesh well in a locker room. Again, this is all us guessing. It's all guesswork for now. But I definitely thought that it was interesting to hear him joke around with these these press guys, you know, and show a little bit of that personality right away. He wasn't robotic whatsoever. But again, like we've said in plenty of times, Nick, and I know you both, we, I know we're pretty strong in this. Words, you know, actions speak louder than words. And that was the problem with the Joe Judge error. So we'll see where it goes there. But I had some other things that were really interesting. So that I took away from this uh, presser. Obviously, Shepard and Blake Martinez in attendance. We mentioned that they dapped up. But I thought one thing that was really interesting was Brian Dable's comments on Daniel Jones and kind of the reaction to them. So there's two sides of this. The first side is the refreshing nature of hearing Brian Dable say, we're going to fit the system around the quarterback. And that quarterback could be anyone. I tweeted about this. This is such an obvious take. That quarterback could literally be anybody you want it doesn't have to be daniel jones when i'm saying this i'm not saying build the offense around daniel jones what i'm saying is build the offense around your qb1 whoever that may be whoever you've decided that to be and dable said he's going to talk to jones about concepts that work for him dating all the way back to do like take things that worked for him at any point in his career and do and accentuate and make those your system. Like, don't come in with any idea of what a system should be. We talked a lot, and we're going to talk later this week, Nick, about the X's and O's of Brian Dayball with the Bills. But if we're going to be honest about it, it might look very different with what he decides is best for Daniel Jones versus what he decided is best for Josh Allen. So that's the first thing I wanted to talk to, his comments about fitting the system around Daniel Jones. What are your thoughts on that? I was wildly excited when I heard that, and I'm not surprised either. All the comments coming out of Buffalo about Brian Dayball was his ability to not be rigid. It wasn't just his system. Like with Jason Garrett, it seemed like it was definitely just his system. Pat Shermer, it was his system, but I felt like he did a much better job making Daniel Jones comfortable and incorporating some of those things that he did under David Cutcliffe at Duke. I look at Brian Dayball, man, and that's what I expected coming in here. But to hear him say it was definitely refreshing. You look at Daniel Jones, you know, he made a bunch of little comments about Daniel Jones. I know Daniel Jones has good size. He's a really hard worker. He was already in the building and all of that. And it does seem like, and obviously a lot of things can change. We're in the offseason right now. The Senior Bowl hasn't even happened yet. But it seems like the Giants are going to head into this season if Daniel Jones is healthy with Daniel Jones as their play caller in week one. And there's going to be a system tailor-made for Daniel Jones. I cannot say the same for the last two years, man. Jason Garrett, that system was not tailor-made for Daniel Jones. We talked about it so much, Dan. So that is one thing that I absolutely love to hear from Brian Dable. Yeah, it seems so simple, but apparently it's not because not every team did it. The Giants were just one of those teams that were an example of a team that did not do it. And this is something that has to be the case for every single team. You have to fit the system around the quarterback. That's what all the NFL is about. That's what all these teams are doing. I just waxed poetic about how I felt like, um, what's his name? Why am I blanking his name? The Zach Taylor 
fit the system around around Joe Burrow and change things from what he was going to do for Joe Burrow. That is not the same offense that McVay runs that he came from that trade. That is not the same offense that McVay ran with Goff. Goff's McVay's not running the same offense he ran with Goff with Stafford. It's all about fitting the fitting your play calls, fitting your play designs to the quarterback in my mind at least. And I'm happy to see that. But I did think that there was a lot to be made about Brian Dayball's supposed like what you know saying you know I've seen some headlines that have spurred from this presser Nick that were like Brian Dayball believes in Daniel Jones Brian Dayball's moving forward Daniel Jones Brian Dayball this Brian Dayball Jones this and while I think Mara made it pretty clear in his post presser com- comments that the Giants are going to build around Jones and Jones is he basically said he's almost locked in as the starter for week one of the 2022 yeah. season also said something else that was really interesting that we'll get to when we get to the Mara part but I didn't actually feel like Brian Dayball's comments were all that, I guess, reflective on his supposed love for Daniel Jones. Because he really just said he's got the right mind. This is all he said. He's got the right mindset. There's a lot of things to like about Daniel. It takes a lot to raise a quarterback. We're going to try to give him stability. But when he was kind of pressed or like started to expand on those things to like, he kind of just leaned, leaned on that he's got the right mindset. He works hard, which we already knew about Daniel Jones and is basically only a baseline for quarterback play. And then he mentioned the size, but he didn't really mention anything else specifically. I thought that was kind of interesting. He said we need to help him. That's another thing that he said, which isn't necessarily a, a groundbreaking statement whatsoever. And again, like, I don't think he's going to come in here and, and just start, you know, saying, oh yeah, Daniel Jones is definitely our guy or anything like that. But you look at where the Giants are right now, they don't have another option. They have Daniel Jones under contract cheap. They have a decision to make at the beginning of May on his fifth-year option. I ultimately don't think they're going to pick that up, but we will see what happens there. So I'm not overly shocked by the fact that he didn't you know, just wax poetic about him. He was a little bit tamed, but he also you know, talked about all the things that we already knew about Jones, his size, work ethic, all the things you already alluded to. I didn't read too far into it, though. Yeah, I definitely didn't read too far into it, but uh, to me, that is not like if he had got up there and said, this guy is an incredible vertical passer. I've charted these throws. I've seen the film. We need to do We're going to do a better job of accentuating it. This guy is an incredible RPO throw. If he just came up with some things that he's great at, that would have felt to me like more of a glowing react. I see all these headlines like Brian Dayball loves Daniel Jones. He's moving forward. Daniel Jones. Just talking about his work ethic and his size, to me, did not capture it. I, uh, you know, We'll see what happens with the whole Daniel Jones and the Giants thing moving forward, and especially Brian Dable's specific opinion, which to me, I like you said, I'm not going to read too much from these presser comments one way or another, but that just captured my attention because it was kind of billed as this whole idea. And I actually thought John Mara's specific comments, which I'll get to later, which we'll get to in a bit, were more along the lines of we really like Daniel Jones. We're going to move forward with Daniel Jones rather than what Dave all said. But either way, regardless, the first point is so important. He's going to do a lot of the things that he's going to ask Jones. What are the things you liked during the first three years? What are the things you did good at? And then all the way dating back to Duke and build that scheme all around that. So that to me was very, very, very interesting and a good sign for the Giants moving forward. You want a system that's conducive to your quarterback skill set. That's not rocket science whatsoever, but those are the direct quote from Brian Dayball. So that's definitely something new. Yep, no doubt. And it goes into what John Mara was saying. You know, he lauded Brian Dayball's command of the room, his personality that made him likable from the beginning, and his confidence in his prior experience working with Joe Shane and with players. He connects with these players. Now, again, we heard similar, th- similar things at times for Judge, but... We'll see what happens there. And hopefully it is this time it's it's for real. Let's just say it like that. A um, couple of notes that I had that I want to get your take on. John Maris said he did not reach out to Sean Payton. 
because he's under contract. I think that was pretty much expected. Um, Dayball actually talked about Saquon Barkley a little bit. He said he was one of the first players who reached out to him when Dayball got hired. Barkley was. And Dayball's son is an assistant coach at Penn State. So he's heard a lot about Barkley. Not a bad word about the young man, Dayball said. Obviously talented. We're going to try to use his skill set the best way we can. I think yeah, that would probably put to, to rest the trade rumors. I mean, I wouldn't say it puts it to rest. I think anything's kind of on the table right now. But who wouldn't be excited to use somebody who has the potential that Saquon Barkley has? And I think Saquon has to be you know, ecstatic at the fact that Brian Dayball is now his head coach. Now, I say that he came from Buffalo. Buffalo did not necessarily have the best running game. Or and I can also you can probably criticize Brian Dayball that he strayed away from the run. But when you have somebody like Saquon Barkley and no shot at Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, they're not Saquon Barkley. I expect him to be used pretty extensively in the game plan. And he can't get much worse than whatever the heck happened last year in terms of rushing the football for the New York Giants and just how Saquon you needed him to hit a home run to be productive and it just didn't happen enough. So I think it's a good sign, but I'm still not ruling out the fact that he could possibly be traded i don't expect that to happen but i wouldn't be shocked if it did either yeah that's fair especially with the idea of them trying to get into a better cap situation but like you said the giants have made it clear they're not going full rebuild they're probably not blowing anything up so they want to try to win while rebuilding it's possible the eagles did it this year it's not impossible if you're going to try to win while rebuilding the current trade value for saquon barkley in my mind is not enough to overcome the upside of him in a Brian Dayball offense, if the Brian Dayball offense is working at its best, at its peak, and if he maximizes, which is the key to it, Daniel Jones. That will help Saquon Barkley, in my mind, more than anything else. So that was interesting to me. He also mentioned that Jones braved out, came to the facility early Saturday morning in the middle of the snowstorm uh, when not many people were in the building, and that's the one person who was there from the Giants was Daniel Jones, per Brian Dayball. So you know, just another nod to Daniel Jones. He obviously, the good thing about Jones, we know this for sure. He takes this super seriously. He wants to be the franchise quarterback of the Giants. That to me is a baseline, but it's not always a guarantee. Like you, you listen to some stories about Jake Locker, who basically told, uh, you know, he's he, Jake Locker, had unbelievable talent. I remember watching Jake Locker from a pure talent standpoint, being like, this dude can run, he can throw on the run and he's got, a, he can rip the ball. Like, he had, he had really good arm talent. And, I, and I've heard him talk post-career about how he just didn't take it seriously enough. Now, I've heard that from other quarterbacks as well. They weren't committed. They weren't prepared for it right away. And they regret it. But that's something we know we have in Jones. So that's a good sign, at least. It's definitely a good sign. I mean, that's the baseline, though. You know, you, you need to have a lot more, as we've, you know, talked about and discussed so much on this podcast in terms of Daniel Jones. And there was other stuff that, like, Brian Dayball said that, we already kind of knew, you know, you, you want to have a shared alignment, a shared vision. You want the right type of people in the locker room, which is the whole culture thing that we talked about a lot this year with Joe Judge. But I mean, that's not necessarily a surprise whatsoever. You want to lead the people you want to cultivate, you want to inspire. I think his comments about, you know, communication, uh, setting the right expectations and standards for everyone on the roster and holding them to the expectations and standards. I think that was also good. And you also just want to be authentic as a coach. You don't want to be somebody that you're not. I personally don't think Brian Dayball will have an issue with this, but as we said earlier, got to wait to see how this all plays out, but it does seem like he's comfortable in his own skin and he's pretty authentic. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to some of the big point topics then from the presser as far as what it means moving forward. Like, yeah, we can talk about the personality, all the stuff we don't know about for sure, but these are the things we know for sure. What we know for sure is that 
Brian Dable said in no terms, you know, he didn't mince words on this at all. Patrick Graham will be the Giants defensive coordinator in 2022 if he is not hired as a head coach. Right now, Patrick Graham is in the mix for the Vikings head coaching job. We'll see what happens with that. He has a past connection and a prior relationship with the new Vikings GM. If he is hired by the Vikings, the Giants get two, two third round compensatory picks. So I'm going to be honest about the situation. It's still what I would like to happen. I'll just be honest. No offense, Patrick Graham. I love you. You're great. I'd put you as my number one guy as DC, but with Fangio and Wink Martindale out there, and I don't see enough of a drop up there, a drop off there from Fangio or from Graham to Fangio or Martindale, if a drop off at all, if we're going to be honest, to make up for the two third round picks. So I'm still kind of hoping he gets hired in the Vikings. We're going to be honest. So we get those third round picks. But if he's not hired by the Vikings, Dayball did confirm that, Pat, that, uh, that he'll be back as the Giants defensive coordinator. Fangio's still my one. I, I might put Graham as my two, but it, it, it's difficult, man, because of those two third-round picks. Now, it would be one in 2022 and then one in 2023, so they wouldn't both be for this draft class. But still, man, that is a lot of compensation to to get to also have Patrick Graham pursue his dream of being a head coach for the Minnesota Vikings. But at the end of the day, man, I, I do think there is value in Brian Dayball having an experienced coach in the building who knows these players, who knows the ins and outs of this roster, and somebody who saw the last regime, saw what didn't work. All the things Brian Dayball kind of alluded to in the press conference as to why he wants Patrick Graham there. I believe he said that, you know, he's smart, he's diligent, and he would be a great support system for me. And that's what Brian Dayball said. You want Dayball to be, you know, optimized with his support system. Although I would imagine, you know, after a little bit of time, Vic Fangio, who was a head coach, obviously not a coach on the Giants roster, but he was a head coach just recently, would also provide that. And Wink Martindale is also a very experienced coach. I think, as you said, it's a win-win situation. I think all three of these candidates are excellent, but that's the whole the whole situation is kind of determined by the fact that Giants would get pretty significant draft capital if Patrick Graham were to get that head coaching job. So it's uh it's definitely one of those things, man, where if he gets it, I'm going to be happy for the compensation, especially if the Giants can land one of those other two big dogs at defensive coordinator. Yeah, and I'm not saying, you know, obviously there's the connection. Dayball and Graham have worked together in the past. And I think part of why Graham was my number one was because of the things that Dayball and you just mentioned, Nick. A, we already know he connects really well with the players. B, he can go over things with Dayball that didn't work with Judge, so he doesn't repeat those same mistakes that Judge made with the players. And that is so valuable to me, just having that voice that already knows what works and what doesn't work, especially because it's from, coming from a guy who we know connected with the players in a really strong way that Patrick Graham did. Mm -hmm. Two, he already knows how to maximize these players. He has a great grasp and understanding of where they're at from a development standpoint and where he needs to put them, what places he needs to put them in. So they'll be at their best. And I'll say this, if Graham is back as DC, I think it gives them a much better chance of coming of Bradbury, of keeping Bradbury, not cutting or trading Bradbury because Bradbury is a great system fit for Patrick Graham. I think we are well aware of that he may not be as good a system fit for somebody like Wig Martindale. If we're going to be honest, if they're playing a lot of press man and that style of defense. So as far as him already connecting the players, being able to go over things that Joe Judge got wrong and so Dable doesn't make those same mistakes, and knowing how to maximize the players, and a great track record. Like, he's done a lot with a little. Remember, we always forget this. Uh, a lot of people seem to forget this, in my mind. Even ourselves, Nick, we don't mention as much as we used to, or maybe not as much as we should have. 
when we entered that 2020 season, the Giants defense was supposed to be the problem, not the Giants offense. It was supposed to be the defense is nowhere near where it needs to be. They made a couple free agent signings to try to make it decent again because it was awful the last year. But we got time. It's going to take years to rebuild that defense. He did it in one year, like in one shortened off season. He was able to turn that defense into a top into a top 12 ish, 15 ish unit, which is kind of where it was at this year, maybe a little lower without Blake Martinez in the mix. But and obviously they didn't have much to replace Martinez with. But he's been able to do a lot despite him never finding an edge for him and a true alpha edge for him. And despite the injuries and despite where they were at from a roster development standpoint on the defense side of the ball when he was hired. So there's still a lot to like about what what uh, Graham has done. Absolutely, man. And that was a COVID shortened offseason too, man. There was a lot going on, but he was able to turn it around very efficiently, to be honest. And I, I have so much respect for Patrick Graham. So if he does leave, you know, best of luck over there in Minnesota. And if he stays, you know, I'll welcome that too. Yeah, and he even said, Joe Shane said, he's a passionate guy. He got me fired up in our interview with the, as far as his interview for head coach. So he probably, you know, shined a good light there as well. Just, there's been no negatives around Patrick Graham. So I'll be so, I'll be very happy if he's coming back. Now, a couple other key points and takeaways from this presser. The one other interesting one that I thought was as poignant as the defensive coordinator and the Daniel Jones comments was, Will Brian Dayball call plays for the Giants? Because a lot of what I've liked about Dable is his play calling mix. I know some in Buffalo got a little frustrated with this this year, but it was unbelievable in 2020. And I thought it was amazing against both the Chiefs and Patriots in these two playoff games this year uh, in the biggest moments. So will he play? The, will he call the plays or will the offensive coordinator call the plays? And so it's interesting because Joe Shane mentioned today that he would strongly prefer if the offensive coordinator calls the plays so the head coach can kind of take that overall head coaching approach and not have to focus on the plays. Brian Dayball said, yeah, that could happen. But he also said, I believe the two coaches coordinating in the Super Bowl or the two coaches in the Super Bowl right now are who had coaches are calling their own plays. So obviously it's not impossible to do. So what were your thoughts on these comments? I think Brian Dayball wants to call plays, but ultimately, and I think a lot of this comes down to Ken Dorsey. I think if Ken Dorsey does come over then he's probably going to call plays. And I think Brian Dayball is you know aware enough to know that his general manager and these two have spoken a lot about collaboration and being in sync and being on the same page. His general manager wants him to focus more on head coaching responsibilities. Dayball ultimately might end up giving up those play calling. I think that definitely will happen if Ken Dorsey comes over, somebody who's worked with Dayball and knows Dayball's tendencies, probably has a heavy influence of Brian Dayball within him. I'm not 100% sure how comfortable Dayball will be if it's somebody that he hasn't necessarily worked with with recently. So I'm interested to see what happens. I'm not 100% certain what's going to happen. And we've kind of talked about a lot in the past how we didn't really appreciate Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer calling plays. And I could see that definitely uh, bothering us if the Giants offense has a lot of mismanagement under Brian Dayball. But that's in the future. Well, I guess we'll find out what exactly happens then. I personally kind of would like for him to to focus on everything. But he has a valid point. Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, they both call their plays, and there they are up there in the Super Bowl. What about you? Yeah, it's really interesting because we we obviously have talked in the past about our belief in kind of that head coach who doesn't coordinate outside of the balls, but but ball, sorry. But Brian Dayball has done a really good job of it, and so we know that. He already has a proven track record of it, and I do think you're right. If it is Ken Dorsey, it won't just be Dorsey choosing the Giants over the Bills because of the money, though that will be the key factor in my mind. 
the only chance to get Dorsey is to overpay him because there's no, no way in my mind, I don't care what anyone says, that Dorsey would rather coordinate an offense with Daniel Jones and this offensive line or, or Josh Allen in that offensive line. It's not even a question what gives him a better chance of doing a good job. It's obviously going to be easier to coordinate a Josh Allen offense, but part of it won't just be the money. I think part of it will be you get to call the plays. You know, if he has two good options, he's not going to choose the one where he doesn't call the plays. And that's kind of what Dayball said in fewer words. He didn't actually say it, but he almost said it. And then he also mentioned in passing, they've already interviewed a lot of guys for the offensive coordinator position. So they're active in that. They're trying to find, if they're not going to land Dorsey, they have another backup plan. I'm wondering who that is, to be honest. Yeah, we've heard nothing on it, which is interesting. It's very interesting. I'm trying to like make connections in my mind and see who's available, who might come over and call plays, but there's no one that's necessarily jumping out to me at the moment. Yeah, and he said we've done a lot of interviews for for that spot. I can only tell you that. So we'll see what happens there on that front, obviously. A couple other things that stood out to me here. Um, assistant, uh, so Kevin Abrams will remain with the team. That's something that Joe Shane mentioned. He's going to help. He's already helped him out. He said a bunch. He even offered to uh, give up his title if they want to bring in another personal executive. So we'll see a personnel executive. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I do feel like the... Upside is probably more with how the Bills ran their show with Shane being the secondhand guy in that Abrams type role as a scout. I'm not so sure Abrams without the scouting background belongs in this role, but I would like to keep him on just for the cap stuff. I actually think he does a good job with the cap personally. And I think he has for a while. If they can just get him in that role and bring on a set, you know, a number two for Shane, that was like the old Shane, a scout number two, that'd probably be ideal for me. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You definitely need somebody who can evaluate to to pair with Joe Shane because Joe Shane has a lot on his plate. Kevin Abrams isn't exactly that. So that's definitely something that I would like as well. Another interesting note for me from this presser, they mentioned or Shane mentioned that, you know, what you don't know, he said, was that Brian Dayball expressed the, expressed the, described the exact skill set he needed for his offense and said that Gabriel Davis fit the bill to a T. And Joe Shane said that made him an easy pick in the fourth round, easy value pick for them. And just another example of, you know, Brian Dayball getting involved in the process there, having an eye for talent and finding a perfect fit and value. That was, that's going to turn out to be an unbelievable draft pick for the Bills. Just an absolute steal of a pick, most likely. I mean, if he continues on this trajectory, Gabriel Davis, he looked freaking awesome. I mean, awesome in that playoffs. And really, he's looked awesome his entire career with the Bills on limited opportunities. He just had a tough time cracking the depth chart. But just thought it was cool to hear that that was a Dayball-inspired pick, and it was a system-based pick fitting the talent to the system, and that you know they, they, they pinpointed it as an absolute value steal for them in round four. There's a video surfacing and, and going around Twitter right now of Brandon Bean and a bunch of guys and scouts for the Bills talking about Gabriel Davis at the combine. And he says, man, I hope this guy doesn't run fast because he plays fast. So I think that's another thing you're going to see these guys <laughs> like Gabriel Davis run, you know, four, five, four, four, five, six, nothing too impressive. It doesn't jump out at you. But when you watch the film, you see him separating out of their stems. You see him creating separation with their athletic ability, with their nuance and their route running and just kind of how fast they play. So the big difference between running in your underwear and running in pads when you're competing against another human being. Gabriel Davis has that more than he 
has running in his underwear. So I think that's something that we can probably pay attention to after the combine. We see some, oh man, that guy ran a four, five, six. Oh, that's unfortunate, man. We liked him. Well, guess what? You know, he might be a target by this new regime in the fourth, fifth round area. Love to hear that too. Cause as you know, I'm team 40 yard dashes, incredibly overrated. So especially for running backs, but just essentially all positions, I, I find it incredibly un- overrated and a terrible way to, you know, you, to base your draft picks personally, but we'll see what happens with that. I'm glad to hear it's not going to be at the forefront of this new regime's uh, mindset. Obviously, you know, as we've heard and as we probably know, big reason why Evan Ingram was selected that early by the Giants when he was considered to be at, at the beginning of that draft process. I remember him as like a mid day two. Some people were like, this could be a day three pick. Um, but once he ran that four, four, two, that was kind of it. Giants <laughs> loved him. I remember I was at the Senior Bowl that year in 2017. It was my first year down at the Senior Bowl. I was there with the Scouting Academy, so I'm there with a bunch of other people who I still keep in touch with. And I, and I said while watching Evan Ingram out there, I said there could arguably be three tight ends drafted in the first round this year. And everyone was like, "Man, you're like you're nuts, dude! Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, OJ Howard will be drafted in the first round, but no one else." And then OJ Howard. Evan Ingram and David Njoku all went in the first round. So I was like, validated. Thank you. Yeah, nice. I mean, look, the NFL loves those. If you still have GMs like the Jerry Reese's out there who are who are prioritizing the athleticism. Um, and so it's good to know it probably won't be the case with this new regime. Uh, a couple other comments I wanted to go over here. It looks like they're going to continue forward with Abrams and also director of football operations, Ed Triggs. So they're going to be doing a lot of work on personnel and free agency and otherwise, according to Joe Shane. That's good, man. I mean, bringing more people to to help with the entire process. And it seems like, man, it seems like Joe, and we said this with Joe Judge too, man. It seemed like we were on the right path. But the, the thing about Joe Judge was he came into an already established situation with Dave Gettleman as his general manager. Right now, John Merrick cleaned house right now. They kept a lot of the Kevin Abrams of the world, the scouts and people like that. They're not going to do away with those individuals until after the draft, if they even do away with said individuals. But the fact that they're bringing in Dayball, Shane from a successful organization, they're married together. I think that is definitely something that we can look at and be like, this is a positive step in the right direction. And that's something that the only thing we need right now as New York Giant fans, right? Because we haven't had that in quite a while. Yeah, for sure. We'll see what happens on that front as well. One other thing I wanted to touch on, then I'll turn it over to you if there's anything I missed. John Mara's comments were uh, very interesting to me. He said, he'll be very surprised if Daniel Jones is not the Giants opening day starting quarterback for next season. So the medical people are convinced that despite the neck injury, he'll be healthy enough to play. He said he also believes this was the interesting thing to me about that because we kind of already, I don't want to say we already knew that, to be honest, but now we're kind of having that confirmed. But, and again, everybody says like, oh, do the Giants have any better options? We'll talk about this extensively in the offseason, Nick. I'm not so sold as everyone else that until I watch these guys, at least, I'm not so sold there's not a quarterback worth drafting. I have to watch these guys extensively to make that declaration just because a bunch of people are saying it right now. I'm not going to use that as my process for evaluating quarterbacks coming into the NFL because I don't think that's a good process. So we'll get to a lot of if there is an option for them outside of Jones. But something I found very interesting is he said he believes the rebuild by the Bills was the successful right way to do it. And they were able to do it so quickly because they had the right GM, head coach, and drafted the right quarterback. This is Mara's words. He said he believes the Giants have that too. So that's basically Mara saying they believe they drafted the right quarterback. That's a statement of confidence. And John Mara has never really 
minced words with Daniel Jones. He, he definitely seems to appreciate Daniel Jones, really thinks highly of Daniel Jones as an individual and as somebody who can play on the football field, which probably means Chris Mara and all the scouts that have been in the building also really believe in Daniel Jones as well. But I think it's all going to come down to the season. I don't think it necessarily means the Giants are looking to move forward and invest a bunch of money in Daniel Jones. I think it's going to be a, hey, we'll see what you can do in this system. We're going to really try to maximize your skill set within Brian Dayball's vision, and then we'll uh, we'll take it from there. But, I mean, that comment is uh, something that definitely suggests that this isn't all just fodder. Yeah, it really stood out to me, Nick. The fact that he said, you know, they drafted a right quarterback, and we believe we have that too. So, I mean, it doesn't totally surprise me. I know John Mara's in love with Daniel Jones, seemingly almost as much, if not more, than Gettleman was. But, you know, we'll have to see because so far what he's put together on film, and I know there's all the excuses as to why it's been so bad, but it's bad. And it wasn't all that good in 2019, despite it being remembered as being good. So I do believe Brian Dable will maximize Jones, but I hope that John Mara and Shane and Dable We'll be able to get together, and everybody else who makes a decision, Nick, we'll be able to get together and parse out the long-term future for Jones if he does have his best season and if Dable's able to unlock him because it still has to be enough to extend the player like that because you do not want to put yourself in a Jared Goff situation. Honestly, I don't think you want to put yourself in a Ryan Tannehill situation either, and that's the ceiling, as it appears, of this style of build, of extending a quarterback who can get the job done with the right system and the right police around him, but needs all of those things and no injuries, or he's got no shot. And I'm not saying that is what Jones is. He still has a lot to prove, I guess. It's year four. Maybe he can break out in year four. It's possible. But again, I don't want to be in a position where we're, ta- where we're not sure. The Giants are extending a player because he made a playoff run, lost in first round, improved so much on what he was, but is still not able to take them over the top without the perfect thing around them. And so I will say this. I don't believe the Giants right now have that too, as John Mara said, but it's possible they still can get to that with Jones. We'll just have to see. I'm on the same page as you right there. I don't I I don't understand how you can even really say definitively that he's gotten to that point. We haven't seen it and we haven't necessarily seen any kind of high ceiling type of play from Daniel Jones at any consistent level. So that's a big statement by John Mayer, but I'm not shocked because that's, you know, his guy and he believes in him and what else is he going to say? And that's, you're not going to be like, oh yeah, this guy sucks, but he could have, you know, just not said anything, right. and kind of withheld the Josh Allen statement. But you know what? I guess we'll see how it all plays out. I, uh, I like Daniel Jones, as, as I've said several times, but that the ceiling is the big question mark. And I haven't seen anything to suggest that he has a super high ceiling. Yeah, me either from the ceiling standpoint. And I like him as a person, and I think they do too, and they're really prioritizing their opinion of his work ethic and things of that nature. But uh, again, it has to only be viewed as a baseline. You cannot evaluate these guys based on how work and how hard they work and how much they want it. They also have to have the talent level to take you over the top. And to be honest, it's not just the ceiling right now for Jones. If you want to take this realistically, and if you want to look at this outside of the Giants' bubble of of evaluating players and you ask all the other 31 NFL teams what their thoughts are. It's more so he has to prove he can also just be a, uh, a winning starting quarterback, like even an above average quarterback, he still needs to prove that. Like you mentioned, there's been flashes, but no signs of consistency over a three year sample size. And as I said, I spoke to some, I spoke to someone who has friends within one of the team's organizations. I'm not going to say which team it is. And they said that, you know, if they were to trade Jones at this time, a day three pick is all it would take to get him. That's where he's viewed right now by the rest of the league. 
according to this source, which I believe is pretty strong. And that's how we have to look at this. We can't just look at it from our standpoint as fans who have watched him play every snap and have seen the flashes. Like we believe he's proven more right now. I do believe he's proven more right now and is a better option for teams if they want to trade for him than Sam Darnold, who just went for what a second round pick and more. Yeah. I do believe he is better than Darnold. I really do. But I don't think other NFL teams believe that. I'll be honest. From what I've heard, I do not think other. And doesn't matter what we think. It matters what other NFL teams think. And to me, he needs to show consistency to the point where he can even be above average before we can even start talking about ceiling. Absolutely, man. I mean, you nailed it right there. All right. Anything else from this presser that you wanted to touch on? Nah, man. I'm ready to get to work. Sucks that uh, Brian Dayball won't be down in Mobile. It doesn't seem like he's going to make it down there, but I think Joe Shane is going to be down there. I'm sure the Giants will have their contingent of scouts down there, but this is a big week, man. Reese's senior bowl is this week. So everybody pay attention to Twitter, pay attention to NFL network. They cover it pretty extensively. And it's a lot of, a lot of decisions are made because of the Reese's senior bowl. Now, not all of them are great as as we know, not all of them are great, but Kyle Shanahan found Debo Samuel because he coached him at the senior bowl and he, and he got to know him down there. And there's going to be a, a lot of, um, a lot of risers and fallers this week. So I'm, I'm excited for the Reese's senior bowl. Yeah, me too. It's not, you can, you can find some stuff there. And the good news is both me and Nick through, uh, through opposite, you know, different avenues have got our, got ourselves hands on the practice film from the senior bowl week. So while neither me or Nick will be down there in mobile, we're going to have film of the practice, which in my mind is even more valuable personally. And so we'll have content on that. We're going to have content on Dable from an X's and O scheme standpoint coming up as well. We did hint at a mailbag coming up, so be on the lookout for that. We'll probably do that at some point as well later this week. And I just wanted to thank everyone who who listened to what I asked for last, or you know who who, who uh, listened for my request and did it and left us re left us a review. Even if you already left us a review, please again leave us re review so we can drown out some of the haters. Um, I'm not going to address the haters again. I think they're all off base. And I have no interest in talking about them, but I do want to shout out those of you who helped us by leaving us a five star review and rating. Um, and I didn't see any questions in there. So just kind of we'll touch on those if you do add them. Um, sometimes iTunes doesn't add the, uh, update it. So I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll basically look to address those on the mailbag as well. Anything else, Nick? Nah, man. You just have a wonderful day, bro. You too, man. And for the rest of our listeners, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.